0: Secrets to Real Estate Investing, episode 50.
1: Welcome to the Secrets to Real Estate Investing podcast by House Flipmasters, where you will learn powerful strategies from top experts in real estate investing, and you will find valuable information to take your investments to the next level. Now, here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann.
0: Hey everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing by House Flip Masters. Today we have another lady with us which always excites me so much when women are making it happen in this business of real estate investing. Today we have Andrea Arciga of Irvine, California who is a broker and she has ventured into real estate investing and she's already wholesaled five properties and now she's kind of venturing into phase two as she calls it, which is flipping. So with that, welcome to the show, Andrea. Hi, glad to be here. Thanks so much for your invite. Well, why don't you give our listeners a little background on you of your history, what you did, um, what, maybe what kind of jobs you've done and how you ended up where you are today.
2: Sure. Okay. Well, I am a uh, mother of four most important thing I have to say because that is the most important part of my life. Um, I have a son as old as 24 and a little boy as young as 13. So that keeps me busy. Lots of different stages of their growth. Um, I started in working since I was about 16 years old and I've pretty much always been in a sales role or a sales support role. Uh, in just about, it's actually, it was right after nine 11. I was laid off in the tech industry, which I had been in for many, many years as, uh, a sales manager selling uh, franchises throughout North America. That was a really uh, wonderful opportunity. I was young and uh, doing very well, but I got laid off as many people did after the tech industry bombed and tanked. And after that, well, I went into unemployment and then I <laughs> took my, <laughs> that's what I went into. Then I went, uh, then I took my marketing and sales skills. Cause at that point I had also taught myself how to do graphic arts and because in order to get my franchises sold on a very small ad budget, I started learning how to make postcards and and you know, buy stock photography and put together, you know, postcard series and direct mail pieces and, and I actually really liked it. So I got a passion for that while I was selling. So I took those skills a very good friend of mine, and I'm going to give her props, Tina Estrada, uh, owned a Caldwell Banker franchise in Santa Ana at the time. And she actually, I think she was Bradford Realty, wasn't even Caldwell Banker yet. And she asked me to come in and break her into the real estate market in Santa Ana. You know, that's kind of like the cream of the crop, uh, historic district where the judges live, lots of lawyers, um, you know, all the, all of the Santa Ana and Orange County heads pretty much since that's the downtown Santa Ana area, that's where they live. So really neat area, kind of hard to get broken into a lot of old real estate players and brokers there. I took that project on, I got her in within three months, we had like three listings, we did like a newsletter and all this marketing stuff. Her husband at the time said, let me teach you how to do lending so that you can do our marketing and also start doing our loans and, you know, bring us more money into the company. He did that. Obviously, you know, that's where the money is. So I started trading with other agents, branding them, creating logos for them, creating newsletters for them, writing blogs for them. Well, actually it was newsletters at the time because there wasn't a lot of blog um, for their loans. So that's how I broke into the real estate industry and eventually didn't have to trade anymore and just did people's loans and got very good at that. And that was during the heyday where if you just were breathing and held your hand out like this, you got a whole bunch of loans every every day, every week, every month because they were giving loans to 550 FICOS, no driver's license. It was just an amazing time, crazy, horrible time as we know now. But um, at that time as a loan officer, it was a very lucrative time. So I did uh, loans for about five years during the heyday. The next almost about three to four years after that was after the bubble burst and um, still held on, did that, helped people with their credit, uh, got into a very... Um, needed group. I uh, was one of the founding board members for the Orange County Homeownership Preservation Collaborative, which was all the big banks—the Big Five, Wells Fargo, Chase—you know, um, Bank of America—and a lot of housing advocates throughout Orange County. And we devised ways to help people not lose their homes, especially in certain cities like Santa Ana that had a very large and growing population of homeless, which you would not think because they were going to school every day. But the reason we figured out we had so many homes homeless is because technically they were living in people's garages, in the bedrooms of their brother's house, and those were technically homeless. So it was a very, very terrible time as we know, um, but I got involved on a community level to really help families save their homes and get the federal funding that was provided to them. So that's what I did for a long time while I was still doing retail sales, you know, and sometimes loans, and but mostly not loans so I'll fast forward. I did a retail real estate, never loved it. Like I did helping the community and doing mortgage loans, but that's, you know, that's where my bread and butter was. And we all had to survive at that time. I, I went through what everybody else did. I lost a home. I lost a Mercedes. I lost my Range Rover. I was living high on the hog and I lost it all and had to start over as a single mother of four. So that oh was a difference. Wow, that's really tough. <laughs> yeah, that was, oh, yeah. When your daughter's crying in your bedroom because somebody knocked on the door at 2 in the morning because they're literally give, leaving you their, your car seat so that they can throw your rover on their truck and haul it away. Um, Yeah. um, Those were tough times. And you know, they were all my fault. Um, As most age would attest to, we were living so high on the hog that we just never thought that the money would stop and we weren't saving enough. And I was one of the people that did that. So I have nobody but to blame but myself. I made a lot of money and I didn't save it. So lesson learned Next chapter, I never did find a job. I never did what a lot of my colleagues did, which was run out and get go back to their full-time positions or go back to corporate America. I fought through it. I continued to get referrals and help people at that time again through helping them get loan modifications, helping them clean their credit, whatever it is I could do to help them and also make some money um, and you know support my family. And eventually, I ended up... Uh, Becoming, you know, a listing agent, did very well with that. I became a broker, uh, did sold HUD homes, goes with a partner about it, which is the gal who brought me into the business to begin with. So we had kind of reunited and we're working together. When those dried up, because HUD's dried up and REO's started to dry up, then again, I had to reinvent myself yet again. um, And that's when I started building a brokerage, a little brokerage off Second Street in Belmont Shore um and then you know fast forward to now i took the 60 day challenge with invest club for women with iris who's you know legendary in the investment field out here in southern california she taught me how to be a real estate investor and when that when i was in that class uh, the light bulbs went off and it was amazing and that's why i'm where i am today which is a real estate broker that said i really don't wanna do retail forever, it's exhausting, it's grueling, running a team is a lot of management. I really wanna go, for me, having lost a home, is helping people in distress, helping people who need to sell their homes quickly, um, who have a problem that I can solve because I have so much experience that I feel like I can bring something to the table. And either, you know, benefiting from that, obviously, because that's, you know, I, I have to make a living by buying the house cash and doing, uh, you know, wholesaling or fix and flipping it, or simply just helping them through the time they're in and maybe hoping for a referral in the future because they trust me as their real estate advisor. So it's a win win, and, and so that's what I'm doing right now.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for all that background.
2: Yeah. I think that's important to go over that because it really shows you, you know, I think it's important for listeners to know that you can start, you know, and reinvent yourself over and over again. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. Donald Trump did it. I mean, he's the president now. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who've made a lot of money have started, learned lessons and reinvented themselves through the different waves in our market.
0: Yep. Amen to that. All right. Well, listeners, today we're having a whole new format of the show where Andrea is going to ask me some questions. So it's going to be, you guys get to listen in on kind of a little coaching call because I've had a little bit more experience than her in some areas. So we're going to see if I can give her some tips and advice now that she's venturing into flipping more from the wholesaling and encountering new challenges that she hasn't met before. So go ahead. What are your questions for me today, Andrea, that I can help you with?
2: Well, first of all, I think you've flipped, what, over 200 homes now?
0: Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to say you might have just
2: a little bit more experience than I do, but I love your humbleness that I had to throw that out there because you're kind of <laughs> you're kind of a, a big time as far as I'm concerned, and I'm really excited to be here and to be able to learn from you. So thank you very much.
0: Oh, well, you have a lot to share and teach with everyone too, and we'll have to ha- hear your best advice for new people when we're done with my question answering. So girl, it's your turn to
2: ask. (laughs) Okay. So I have a few questions I'll there. I have quite a few questions, but I'll narrow it down for the sake of time. Um, I would like to start with, um, when you, uh, get into contract and you decide that this is going to be one that you're going to fix and flip, what are, what do your first five days look like? Start to finish. What do you do first through
0: whatever? tenth? Great question. Well, I mean, there's the non-physical job site stuff, which is, you know, checking a title report, but um, physically at a job site, it will be me or my husband or both of us walking the property and looking for both problems that we need to solve and opportunities to improve the floor plan. I mean, architecture and floor plans have changed you know, decade by decade. And I educate people as a retail realtor, which you are too, when I'm taking people out looking at homes and they see a house that's flipped that was built in the 70s. And they're like, well, it's nice and new, but it feels so dark because, you know, they didn't put as many windows in homes in the 70s. So it's yeah. so much people, sure. yeah, they want a redone house, but they also want it to be light and bright with big windows, which they didn't really start doing until the 90s. Right. So they look for opportunities for you know, changing out windows, changing walls, adding a bathroom, what would need to happen. And we're experienced enough now that we can do it on our own. But when we were newer, we would walk it with our contractor or a contractor. It's common for flippers to get either multiple bids. I've heard people where they'll say they'll try and get three contractors to show up at once. So the flipper is there with the three Realtors, not realtors, contractors, and the contractors will know there's competition. They see each other and they're like, oh, we better bid this right. However, in the LA area, which I believe is where your first flip is, it's become so competitive to find contractors. I found out that my contractor on my site in L.A. and Highland Park has had other investors stopping by and trying to steal him. I'm like, no, he works for me. Get away. But it's <laughs> really competitive
2: right now. That answers that for me because I had two no-shows at my property this week and thought, don't you need to work? And apparently
0: they don't need to work because they have plenty of business. They have more work than they can handle. The prices go up too, which is bad. But I recommend if you're, if you are new, when I say you, I mean, listeners too, not just you, that you get somebody knowledgeable that kind of knows what to look for or hire a professional home inspector. I mean, they are they probably range from four to five hundred bucks, depending on the size of the home. They'll tell you what's wrong and how old they can estimate, approximately how old plumbing and electrical is. They can look for problems, but I know in this case, when you have a home that you mentioned is over one hundred years old, if it looks like you've got original plumbing, electrical, roofing, you just know okay, budget for new of that. Okay. And, um, um, how, I don't know if that helps enough, but, that does, after but it enough, you can um, start to do it on your own, but maybe the first five, 10, 20 till you're really comfortable, you could hire an inspector or get the contractor there with you.
2: Okay. So in terms of the physical uh, job site stuff, so that's, that sounds like that's it then those are the two steps It's you go with your, you go with your partner or yourself and you guys figure out the design aspects and changes. And then when you have your, and then you kind of know what you guys are going to do next in terms of that, the, the actual structure. But how about on the non, um, job site part? So do you create a binder. Do you have like something up in a cloud that you create an electronic file? What do you put in that file? That That's is part of your question. due diligence in that
0: first five days when you're making sure you're going to buy the property. I mean, do you start getting your financing in line? Oh man, I start getting my financing as soon as I have a verbal accepted offer. So my first call I make, even when I get a a verbal accepted offer is I'm looking for the deal. I have a handful of, you know, my go-to lenders and I love leverage. So I'll get a hard money lender to cover, you know, the the main part of the purchase, but most hard money lenders still want to see you put in 10% of the purchase price minimum. And then you need to come up with rehab. Now it is possible you could get a loan that would cover both. I did that recently on one of my LA houses. I paid four points and 10%. I had to pay a lot higher points because he's covering the purchase price and a bunch of the rehab. I mean, my loan was I want to say like 780 and my purchase price was like 625, so he was covering a significant portion of the rehab, but talk about a nice deal. I had no money out of pocket when I bought it, but typically you'll be getting a loan, you know, for 90%. And then, then I'm finding a second position lender, someone who wants to put some money to work, usually a private individual that's not charging points. You know, maybe I'm paying him eight, nine, 10%, somewhere in that range. So I'm lining up the money. When it comes to Um, You know, when you're talking about the files and having everything in the cloud, oh my gosh, I would have loved to do things that way. I love technology. I love, you know, Dropbox and things like that, where my husband is so not tech savvy. His budget would always be... Chicken scratch on a scratch piece of paper. Like he just pulls something up and starts scribbling paint, carpet, electrical, plumbing, and putting numbers next to him. And that's his style of a budget, which would drive me nuts. But you know, you've got to figure out to work with your partners. Since now I'm pretty much running the business on my own. And he is has jumped back into corporate America doing big student housing development projects with a team at a company and loving that. I have more control of that now. So I've definitely gone more digital. I do have um, files in Google Drive. I will usually print out contracts, and have them in a file, in a little small file right on my desk at the ready so I can always grab them. And I'm checking title. It's really important to check title um, in a regular... Transaction through escrow it 's not probably going to surprise you or bite you, but we have bought homes at auction trustee sale, which is a whole different ball game and we've bought some, knowing there were liens that were not going to get wiped out and I think there was maybe one or two times in a hundred purchases where we were surprised by a lien that stayed on like put on by the city. cities were really coming down on banks especially and homeowners not taking care of their homes during the really bad housing crisis years ago um, when homes were being not taken care of and they would slap fines for having weeds in the yard or, you know, an old, Car in the yard and things like that. And there's been times, I and mean, I think I got stuck with one with the city of Palm Springs, or maybe it was Cathedral City. And I want to say it was like $3,000 or $4,000 that I had to pay, even though I went and tried to negotiate, met with the city manager. So, you know, make sure your title wow. is clean. If you're playing the auction game, you really got to get good and talk to your title guy or girl and learn what stays and what doesn't stay, what gets wiped out. So, that would be like my best advice. You know, put everything you can electronically if you're working with people in Dropbox or Google Drive to share things and, you know, do your research, um, whatever you need to do with, with costs, document it, save it there. And, and that's kind of it.
1: Are you going to um, like the cities online and pulling like the permit history and checking the zoning? Is it R one point five? Is it R one? Is it R two? Are you are you looking at these types of things and really digging deep into the into the history and into the um, you know the, those types of, of pieces of the puzzle and then maybe like saving them into a particular drive under the address? Are, are you doing that kind of thing?
0: I would highly recommend it, especially for you working in an area where that is of concern. Typically, I'm buying single-family homes in a tract. It's a you know just a tract of cookie-cutter houses. That is not so much of an issue. But in LA, where you're working and where I have done some work, and the homes are 100-plus years old, and zoning changes in highest and best use might be... To build two buildings and tear down the one or things like that, definitely do that. Track everything, write down who you talk to at the city. I mean, one other um, story, I guess, I mean, it's happened to us a few times when we bought things at auction, because our first hundred houses we bought were at auction. We bought a house once where there was some funky addition and the ceiling was like, five foot six, which works for the short people that live there, but not built to code. So we had to tear it off. And it was really funny seeing my six foot four husband try to walk into that little room. But um, yeah, talk to the city, figure things out Uh a minute. And I mean, sometimes you buy things and you do have to tear it down. But as a side note, you know, many times too, we bought homes that had garage spaces converted to living space. I mean, what a great affordable alternative, especially when there's multi-generations living together and people can't afford it. And we had to reconvert them back to garages, ripping out you know, bathrooms and little kitchenettes and things people had built. And we knew they're just going to build it back again to whoever we sell, you know, from where we sell it to. It It just kind of made me sick, but it was a game you had to play to get the city to be okay with it. But now the new law that came out this year in California, specifically the state law overrides all the city and local laws that now you can convert garages to living spaces and not replace the parking that they used to require. Like you used to do that and then you had to build another carport or two-car garage if that's what you took.
1: Right. I remember that.
0: That's a really cool thing really for California.
1: What a great nugget
0: you just provided because
1: as a real estate broker, I didn't even uh, know about that yet. And that's amazing because, yes, that having to build a carport and having the space and for the permitting costs and construction costs of adding a carport plus trying to do the, the living quarters in the garage space. Was really costly, so that really helps a lot. That's great. Okay, great. So thank you so much for that. And are you putting your budget now in like an Excel spreadsheet? Are you using QuickBooks, like to you know to pay you know once you get your money funded and to pay out your your um, repairman and you know your GC and whatnot? Are, so how are you managing the accounting part of it?
0: Well, after doing this business for eight years, I finally devised a way to pay the contractor that's working really well. So first of all, yes, I use QuickBooks and track all the expenses, the purchase, the loan, and all that in QuickBooks, which is and was easy for me because my background was CPA. So I knew bookkeeping, but I hate doing it. And I even have someone else do that for me now. However paying the contractor has always been a problem. So let me tell you, um, two different issues that we've had over the years with contractors. And let me say, my husband is a total softy and doesn't like confrontation and would not ever want to kind of fight with contractors or even negotiate with them. And he always thought, oh, wow, it's such a good daily rate. We'll just pay them by the day. So maybe the main guy makes $200 a day, a helper makes, you know, $120 a day. We'll just pay them for, you know, however many days they work. Well, that really bit us on one project in La Quinta out in the desert where our total labor cost was about $70,000 and it should have been 30, maybe 35. And I said, no more are we doing that. You can't pay by the day. So, you know, then we graduated to okay, we have bids. However, even though a bid might have, you know, 10 basic line items plumbing, electrical, drywall, um, building the kitchen cabinets, tiling the bathroom, it would be really tricky to track actual percentage of completion. You're saying, well, I have to pay my guys, I need 5000 bucks this week. Well, is $5,000 of our $30,000 contract, did that much more really get done this week? It was still. A challenge so what I went to after that is I've created a Google Sheet which is like Excel and the nice thing about doing Google Sheets is I share it with my contractor, who is a guy who is tech savvy enough and he can even work on it on his phone. I put the whole bid in there, line by line. It usually starts out with about 10 lines before we move on to the extras. And it will have, you know, the cell over to the right will have all of the totals for plumbing, electrical, drywall, build the kitchen, all those things. Then on the columns out to the right, each column represents one week payment. I pay the guy every week so he can pay his guys. And he has to allocate whatever I'm paying him to the line item budget per each type of we'll call it um, trade or activity. So if he's building me five billing me five thousand dollars this week and his budget for plumbing is two thousand and he did half it put a thousand on there and he has to go through. This prevents us from getting ahead of the contractors, which we've done plenty of times because we're so nice. Oh, 5,000 bucks, 5,000 every week. And they're like, wait, there's still 25% of the job left and we've paid them all the money. And we've never been burned where they just leave and not complete it, but it just makes it tough. They're not very motivated, inspired to come back and finish or do it in a timely manner when you've paid them all. So that Google sheet, which I will put in our show notes as our free download of the week, Um, I'll make that available to all the listeners. That has been a life changer, game changer for me. I'll have little balances out to the right so you can see how much is left on all the trades. And I love it. So I know that was a long-winded answer, but that's the- No, that's good. It took me eight plus years to get to a good system finally. I,
1: I took a lot of notes and I'm so grateful you're going to share that. That's awesome. Okay, uh, let's see. I think I have another question. Um, so I know that um, referrals is huge. Finding, you know, having sharing resources to going just to Yelp or to Angie's list is excellent. I mean, it's great when you're starting with nothing, but really, it's scary. <laughs> And also, there's different types of GCs, general contractors. There's different types of repairmen. Some are great working with flippers because they understand the get in, get out uh, concept, and other ones, you know, aren't so great. They're better for you know homeowners that need help with repairs. So, what's a good resource for that? Like, how can somebody who's just starting in fix and flipping really start adding, you know, which is adding to their arsenal? Really, you need to have that as a tool the different handyman and repairman referrals and even like insurance cuz you always have to get insurance if we're going to get, you know, a loan and you're going to take on one of these projects to have that for each county and area cuz also some of them don't work every county they only work their county so right. what's a good place for somebody to start
0: Well, I'll tell you my experience of finding contractors, we've used multiple avenues. So you just got to see, you know, what works for you and especially listeners, you know, wherever you are in other States or Canada or wherever you are, you know, you just got to take what's going to work for you. So I have found contractors um, sometimes in the same neighborhood or driving somewhere, they'll have a work truck and we'll pull over and talk to them. And I also have the unfair advantage maybe that my husband, six foot four white guy, speaks fluent Spanish. So if they're Spanish only, which is a lot of Southern California, he can just start up a conversation with them. And I know that helps us get better pricing too. So look for people in the area and work trucks. Um, we just picked up a um, contractor a couple of weeks ago at El Pollo Loco, which is a local fast food chain in Southern California. And the one that um, we will often have lunch at near my husband's office is loaded with um, different trades guys. You'll see painters and, you know, all these different trucks out front. They're all wearing work clothes and stuff. So don't be afraid to go talk to people or, or say, oh, if you don't do that, do you know someone that does? A lot of them have brothers and cousins and whoever. Um, next tip I would give is um, at the stores where um, these guys would hang out. So Home Depot, flooring stores. Um, We got our great handyman who we've had for years and he's done full rehabs for us at a glass shop. My husband was at a glass shop to get a window replaced and he just struck up a conversation with this guy and he's been, you know, with us for like eight years. It's been amazing. So the actual stores and um, a really, that's key, excellent. Yeah. Really key thing is when you talk to them, you say, I'm an investor. I'm going to do repeat volume business. I'd love to give you lots of work. And I have friends too, that need contractors. What's your best price? So, you know, don't give me the homeowner price. I'm not a picky homeowner. That's going to say, Oh, that is, you know, a hair off or a hair crooked or that color came out how I didn't want it, redo it. You know, homeowners are way pickier than investors and contractors charge accordingly. They know the homeowner is gonna grind them and work them a lot harder and make their life a little more miserable than an investor would. We accept a lot, um, I shouldn't say lower quality of work, but we're just not as picky as a homeowner because we're not living in it. Like it it needs to look beautiful, it needs to sell, but you know, we're not living in it. Next tip. That's excellent, Um, that's a good point. Yeah, go on Facebook and ask for referrals just on your personal profile. Hey, I'm looking for a stucco contractor in Riverside, California, who do you know? Um, also if you can get on Facebook investor groups, I'm going to be starting one up real soon here. And so you can look for the closed Facebook group of hard hat Holly, and we are going to share referrals and references for all kinds of things, including contractors. Um, see if you can find local real estate investing clubs and associations and see who the players are, you know, who's doing some work and you go and say, Oh, Hey, do you have a contractor? for this or for that. I mean, that's what you did last week. That's perfect. You stand up and you ask, hey, you got a contractor for me. So there's a whole lot of ideas for you, maybe more than you wanted, but I've never gone to Angie's list. That never really occurred to me because I always think, oh, that's the retail full price contractors, but that could be a good place to start. And then you know, just ask them for a volume discount. What's your investor pricing? So it's usually significantly less when they hear that
1: i would imagine perfect okay so i'm going to uh, end with one last question that is probably on the minds of most callers especially you know the ones that are just starting to, to jump into this investment uh, real estate investment world where do you typically well when you first started and now because it's probably changed where did you find your deals at the beginning and where are you finding them now and, and then second part of that, or maybe third part, I guess, do you, if you find an amazing deal and it's just not one you want to work because you've already got other properties going, do you always fix and flip them or do you, some, do you pass on them or do you wholesale them? Because I know you're primarily a fix and flipper and I'm wondering, do, do people who go from wholesaling to fix and flipping never go back to wholesaling or is that always part of your business plan?
0: I think it should always be part of your business plan. And two of the deals I bought uh, in the last year have been from another flipper who's, he's an agent and a flipper, but he had too much on his plate and too many in one area. He's like, Hey, do you want this? Give me five grand for a wholesale fee and it's yours. I'm like, yes, thank you very much. So yeah. um, I, I don't think I've ever... Wholesaled anything. I think we've always fixed and flipped everything. There's been, I think one time we bought a house at auction and we sold it back to the original owner. Like she got a loan or got financing and it ended up being the same lady or whatever that bought it. That was years ago. So that was when we didn't fix because it went back to the owner. But yeah, I mean, going to how I got deals, the first hundred or so houses we did were all at trustee sale Pretty much the auction and then big hedge funds moved in, pushed us little guys out because we couldn't pay the same pricing they were when all they needed is something to work with a 5% annual return as a rental, you know, effectively a 5% cap rate. Compete with that when we're trying to buy things at you know 60 cents of after repaired value dollar. You know we just can't compete. So I went out and started networking with realtors, and I was not a licensed realtor at the time. But I would meet realtors. Um, I would also network with people and just tell them, hey, I'm a fix and flip investor, and I'm looking for deals. You know, significantly, you know, problem houses that are you know significantly under market usually about 70% of the fixed up value. You know, I try and break it down, not use too much jargon. And um, I got like probably my next hundred houses from that. And I used to offer them both buy and the sell commissions. You know, you represent me as a buyer and I'll let you relist it. But that's when deals would yield a 25% cash on cash return all day long. Now, the things we're doing are more like 15%. So I'll still let them represent me on the buy, but then on the sell, I'll say, I'm sorry, I've got to make it work. And I use that profit, you know, that listing commission that I get as an agent to use the profit to make it work. So yeah, networking with realtors and networking with... Everyday people in life and I offer just everyday people a minimum of five hundred dollars if they find me a connection to a house that I flip So there's something for them of why they wanna spread the word that I'm looking for problem houses or whatever.
1: So when you where would you go for the real estate agents to find them? Where were you going to talk to them?
0: Um, Where I went that I would say was unsuccessful is I went to the local board meeting of realtors, you know, before I was licensed and I would try and network with them and nothing came of that for me, but I've heard people having success with that. I would see realtors, um, you know, I'd stop at open houses and talk to them. One time I had a mortgage um, guy Uh, I went to him because I knew he was very into networking and relationships. And I said, who do you know that are realtors that are actually doing stuff and might have some good leads for me for fix and flips? And he's like, let me go introduce you to some. So I made some little packages of these nice little bakery cookies with cute bows on them and left my put my card on them. And then I had this guy, John, he went and introduced me face to face to like five different Offices. He's like, oh, I know so-and-so in this office. I know so-and-so. And he introduced me. And having that third-party introduction, I think, is really powerful. One of those led to a realtor that sold me my probably my two most profitable flips. So he introduced me to this lady, Michelle, and we did two, two deals together that were really effective. So it's really powerful if you ask people who do you know that are some you know realtors that are actually doing some business because in our state it's like every other house has a realtor living it there's so many realtors here so just because someone is a realtor doesn't mean that they ever come across deals.
1: that is true very very true do you think it's make, made a difference that you are a real estate agent now and when you're talking do you think that it's hindered your relationship with other agents or building rapport with other agents and getting them to represent or actually to bring you deals or represent you on deals, being that you are a real estate agent now, has do you think that's changed anything?
0: I don't think it has because all of my years of, you know, I would say sales training and networking training and just trial and error and experience of what to say to people, I think that, you know, I overcome that great because I'll tell them, hey, even though I am a licensed agent, you can represent me on the purchase of the house. It's fine. And they go, oh, and their guard goes down like, okay, they know I'm not going to try and go around them or steal it or anything. I and mean, they can feel my um, sincerity and genuineness and like, hey, I want you to make money. So yeah, works great. Awesome.
1: And if they get, lastly, they're, they're not they're only making the money on the buy side, right? So if it's their listing, then obviously they're getting to double end it, which is awesome for them. But if it's not their listing and it's just you know a colleague's property they heard of that fell out of escrow or proved short sale or something cool, like a deal for you, then you're then they're not cut into they're not an equity partner or anything like that. They're just getting a the buyer side, and and that's okay. You're still finding that they're motivated.
0: Yeah. With that. Yeah. Okay. And, and particularly in Southern California now, there's such a lack of inventory um, that, I mean, they're excited to be getting anything. Like, isn't it better to get one side of one deal than zero sides of any deals? You know, I mean, they're still interested. And I will say too, that I have an agent out in the Murrieta area that she found me a deal to flip a good one purchase price, 200 after paired value 300 on that. I said, Oh, you can totally represent me on the resale. Cause my rehab was under 20 grand. So that one had room in it and I want her to make money and find me more. So if I can, if the deal can afford it, sure. I give them the relist or I've even thought of two, maybe we would co-list it, you know, depending on how the numbers shake out. And this one, I'm like, Hey, it's all yours lady. You go for it. So Yeah.
1: That's smart, because she'll remember that, that you aren't working out of greed, that if there's money there, you will share it. Yeah. really good. Awesome. That was really, really helpful. Thanks so much.
0: Hey, and I didn't address before your insurance question. I know we're going long, but I have an insurance broker um, that I have used for years, and it is tricky. I will tell you, you know, having bought and sold over 200 homes, I still hold 12 rental properties. I have something um, called a 10 plus policy by a company called American Modern that probably, you know, any agent in America can probably get the American Modern policy. And then I have, um, that's for my flips. And then I have another, what's called a 10 plus policy through Mercury that she found for me for my rentals. And I will say, I mean, they are can be really cheap insurance out there by bad companies that might not be around if you ever need to make a claim. And thankfully, I've never made a claim yet, but I have a couple of friends who have had flip homes burned down and you want something, you know, I mean, when it's a vacant house, it's got a higher likelihood of something like that happen. So you've got to make sure you're with a quality carrier to get coverage. Um, And it's tricky because some houses I buy are in a high brush fire Um, possibility area or threat, whatever you want to call it. They have threats of brush fires. Some of them are flooding. I can't put my pool homes on the 10 plus policy. So you have to get separate policies for your houses, depending on what their challenges or issues are Because I mean, they've got to fit in a nice little box for the American modern 10 plus policy to take them. So I've got so many policies between my rentals. I even have a mobile home that is on land that's it got a whole separate policy for that. I mean, there's just all these different things you don't know. So get a good insurance person. Originally, I had a horrible one (laughs) and I figured it out when she would try to send me Excel Excel sheets showing all of my properties and which ones are on which policies. And I'm not really um, wanting to ever do this again, but we had 50 homes at one time. On the books. We were buying them so fast we couldn't even fix it. And this insurance lady did not keep track of them. When I switched over to my current lady, she found out I had properties that weren't even insured. The previous agent had made a fake VIN number for one of the mobile homes we bought. So we would have had no coverage on some of our homes. So they know what they're doing, read your stuff, get educated and yeah, I'll put my um, insurance lady's name and number in the show notes, too. Her name is Karen McMasters at DFI Insurance. They're in a little town, Norco, California. And I'm sure they can do um, plenty of things out of state, too, because these are national insurance policies. And her phone number is 951 735 Five three three five, And just tell her you're an investor and Holly sent you and you need the good treatment and the good policies. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, I know
1: that that was my last question, but I will say that I have about 10 more questions. So hopefully ah. you'll be so kind as to bring me back sometime and yes. I'll keep asking those questions that I need to know. And I think the rest of the Listeners need to know, because you are a wealth of information, Holly, really. Oh, Uh,
0: I'm glad to help. And I just got to say, when you start in this business, as I'm sure you can attest, you don't know what you don't know. Like, you don't even know what questions could come up until you start doing it. So always try to have a network of peers and friends, whether it's on Facebook or in your hometown or people you can call, because this is... I won't say it's a hard business because you can always find solutions to everything, but, you know, problems and challenges are going to come up and it's great to have a network of people you can go to because pretty much someone's done it and been there before and they'll help you. It's a very, you know, the real estate investing world is a pretty friendly community and people love to help each other. I have to agree with that, yes, there's a lot of help out there. There really is. Yeah. Awesome. Well, okay, I'm going to turn it back to you, and I want you to give your best advice to somebody who is, you know, considering getting into this or is new and maybe overwhelmed and not knowing kind of what to focus on and and what, what got you through to the beginning? What inspired you and what advice would you give to other new people?
1: Sure. Um, Love to help. Okay. So I would say twofold. If you are a non-real estate professional currently and, you know, just don't even know the first thing about real estate other than all the HGTV episodes you've watched (laughs) and the fix and flip and millionaire real estate agent shows and, and, uh, you know, so you've got, and, and maybe you've owned a few homes and fixed them up, you know, of your own. I would say the number one thing is to and, and or if you're a real estate broker like myself or a real estate professional that's been in the business for twenty plus years but really have never been a real estate investor, the number one thing you have to do is mindset. You know, we teach that in, in just regular real estate or any sales. Number one is get yourself ready for um you know, for a, a, a big experience, it's very, very different than re- retail real, uh, real estate. And even if you are a broker, or real estate agent, you're almost, not quite, but you're almost as handicapped as the guy who's coming from, you know, an engineering background. You really are because real estate investing is a whole different animal. So the number one thing I would say is if you want to take this on, clear your schedule, organize your house and your desk you know, get your, get your, get a new computer, get yourself ready to go, get, you know, get your pad of paper and pen out, start doing your research, get a couple of mindset books. Um, Holly, I'm sure you can put some of your favorite books, and I shared some with you earlier, um, that help you really start thinking like a person who's going to start making some big money fast, because that's pretty much what's going to happen. And you can't start, in a new career and you can't start making big money if you don't believe that you know that you have what it takes to, to do that so start working on your mindset start getting organized and get prepared find some places to get education do not spend 20 50 30 whatever it is on any of these seminars with a lot of these hgtv personalities i've not found one to be super effective um you know find invest clubs like invest club they're also on facebook people like yourself or resources, find yourself a group um, that you can trust that are not out to take your money, but really just want to help network because really we all make money together in this investment group. Some people are wholesaling to each other. We are each other's buyers. I just put a buyer into one of my fellow real estate investors, Home that he was, she was gonna flip, but she ended up selling it to my buyer without spending a dollar on it. So we really work together. So I'd say start working on work, uh, you know, finding out an invest invest club group and and join the groups, join the Facebook groups, fish those people out. Um, I would say don't put the money because I know everybody says I don't have any money. I really can't do this. I'll start. Maybe I'll start educating myself, but I really can't dig in till I have X amount of dollars. That's not true. I will say it helps if you have at least $5,000 liquid because that would be your earnest money deposit on, you know, getting into escrow on a property. But even if you don't have that, you can still get started now and really close your first deal in a short period of time if you do all the right things. And knowing what to do and all the right things is again, you know, you got to get educated and take something like the 60 day challenge by Invest Club for women. Because by the time you finish those 60 days, most people, if they were truly doing their homework and taking account, you know, and being accountable for their homework, they will have closed or at least be in escrow with one or more deals by the time that 60 days has gone by. And that for me was really the catapult of becoming a real estate investor from being a real estate broker is taking that class, learning to make the calls, learning what a deal is, what types of investor I could be. Do I want to wholesale? Do I want to flip? Um, what, you know, what areas do I want to concentrate on? What kind of niche do I want to have? Do I want to eventually get enough money to be a soft money lender, which is, you know, the second, like you were talking about that extra 10% plus maybe repair costs to somebody like yourself who's super experienced. So I just can give you the money and wait until, you know, I get to collect on my points and my interest and get my money back in, you know, three to six months. So, Starting to learn what all the different types of investing opportunities are out there, setting your mindset up, maybe trying to get a hold of $5,000, borrow it if you have to. Those are the kind of first steps I would take as a new um, investor.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. That was lots of great tips. And I love that it's... from you who's been doing it a couple years and you've had some success and you're still growing. I love it. Well, thank you so much. And just for our listeners want to remind you for my freebie download of this week, you can find it at hardhatholly.com forward slash 50. Cause this is episode 50 and there I will put my Google sheet that I use to pay my contractor and track the expenses that has been an awesome game changer for me and it's made my relationship with my contractor better. So I don't feel like we're at odds. It's just it is what it is. Fill in the formula, fill in the numbers, and there's no you know arguing or debate over anything. It's just, you know, whatever is done is done. So get your free download. And thank you again, Andrea. You've been awesome. We super appreciate your time and your openness and your sharing and sharing of your life story experience. Been so helpful.
1: Oh, um, it, it was a pleasure. I want to just say my name is Andrea Artiga. I am the um, broker and owner of Black Label Brokers. We are headquartered in Irvine, and we work everywhere from L.A. down to Mexico, Inland Empire, San Diego County, L.A. County, Orange County. I would love and am always open to help anybody and answer any questions and solve any problems that people are running into, because that's why I am where I am today, is people like Holly who have shared their advice and their strategies and just really been support when I'm endeavoring to do something I've never done before. So our website is blacklabelbrokers.com. Our investment group is Girl Boss Home Advisors. And you'll be able to search us on the web in the next month as that's getting, you know, our, our websites in production. But you're welcome to call me or text me or email me at any point. I'm at 714. 714- Five zero one nine one five five and my email is Andrea at blacklabelbrokers.com. Good luck to you guys. Make some big money in 2017.
0: Woohoo! Well, thank you. And with that, we are signing off.
1: If you found value in today's episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. You can find our show notes at our website, HouseFlipmasters.com on the podcast page. Also, To get our top tips for finding deals without spending lots of money, go to houseflipmasters.com for your free download today.